And I almost can't even believe that this is real, but it is. I am looking at it right now at a very prominent offshore book that has just taken my bet on this. Team to score the longest field goal. We have right now Cincinnati plus 100. Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com. I'm your host, Nat Landis, and this week it's an early look at Super Bowl bets with the one and only whale capper, Drew Dinsick. If you're hearing this, odds are you already know Drew is the co-host of the Deep Dive podcast as well as the Bet the Edge podcast. And aside from hosting duties, Drew's also a key contributor to the Matchbook NFL podcast. He and I touch on the Super Bowl from a side, total, and moneyline perspective, and you better believe we dig into the props as well, and from there, we also touch on life after football, and Drew's an ideal person to have this conversation with, given his expertise when it comes to also betting the Olympics, the NBA, and tennis. For more on Drew's background, including his affinity for craft beer and authentic Mexican food, check out our previous conversations on Props and Hops, episodes 41 and 53 in this podcast feed. One quick housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation, if you want picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, check out the cutting edge quick picks section for free over at dimers.com. You can find that via the link in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimers Bot's biggest edges. And now, enjoy this week's conversation with the whale capper, Drew Dinsick. Drew Dinsick, back for round three. Welcome back to Props and Hops. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I feel like uh, uh, this should be some good karma to LA guys with LA in the Super Bowl in LA. Like this, uh, this should uh, should be a fun one to break this down, and uh, hopefully our Rams uh, bring home uh, a Lombardi Trophy and uh, bring home a Calcutta pot. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm fired up for this uh, Super Bowl. This is going to be a great week. Absolutely. Even as one of perhaps seven Chargers fans in the LA area, happy to hop on the Rams bandwagon here and, and root for the home team. Nevertheless, plenty of Super Bowl talk to dive into, but I want to zoom out for just a quick moment before we get there and check in. Since we last had you on this past summer talking your NFL situational schedule matrix, how has your NFL season gone from a betting standpoint and what have you taken away from the 2021 season? Yeah, it was a rough one for me. Uh, and basically, by any measure, uh, most of my pregame stuff, I did great beating the spread, beating the closing line. Uh, I don't. I look back, and I, there's not a ton of bets that I made where I was like, "Boy, I was absolutely way off on that market." Um, yet uh, it was a tough. It was a tough uh, season, game by game. Ultimately, um, you know, the futures and really the Rams in particular making this run is going to be a, is going to be a decent bailout. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think my major takeaways from the season, uh, we, I think they were, the motivations changed a decent amount among coaches, teams, players, ha- adding a new game. Um, you know, the a little bit less, uh, urgency to win any particular game, uh, just on the basis of having that, you know, 17th, uh, contest, um, in general, I think, uh, you know, injuries and, and kind of player performance was uh impacted negatively uh because of the additional play um i think you're it was a little obviously a transitioning year for among quarterbacks you know aaron Rodgers is going to be our mvp brady's probably going to be the second choice those are obviously two um you know of our more experienced quarterbacks but uh it definitely has felt like overall there's been a pretty clear changing of the guard here uh where the young guys are now taking the stage and getting more of the attention more of the run um, and that's a good thing. I mean, ultimately, I think that's a, good, a, a great thing. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a little bit more inconsistent play. I thought the refereeing was pretty poor this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the added uh, the added variance of certain coaches going for it on fourth down 
um, made things interesting, made things challenging, made totals tough for me for sure. Um, but uh, I took a lot of very, relatively valuable lessons into this off season and uh, I will make the best of them for sure. Sounds like, yeah, a bit of an uneven season and that's totally understandable. I would imagine one of the highlights not so much from a betting standpoint, although the Rams have been good for you lately. We will get to that later. But attending the NFC Championship game, what was that experience like? I gather based on what I've heard you say on other platforms that it was a pretty good game when you weren't in line for cocktails. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. That one I would like a do-over on where I was getting my uh, my adult beverages. <laughs> but that, aside from that... <laughs> Aside from that, it was an absolute smash. It was so, so, so much fun. They have a legitimate top-tier entertainment team in that stadium to give the fans an, a superlative experience. And that's all you can ask for. Like, It's not like you go there and you feel like you're being preyed on by the, you know, the, the, the ownership group for like, you know, we're, we're going to scoop as much money out of you as we can in the time you're here. It felt very much the other way around where it's like, you know, we're going to make sure that you are entertained in the commercial breaks usually are interminable in NFL games. They feel like they take forever. Every single one was really well done in terms of keeping people engaged, keeping people entertained. And then the game itself was just out of this world good. I mean, the fact that the, um, you know, the Rams were able to uh, withstand some bad coaching decisions, withstand some unlucky turnover, particularly in that first quarter in the red zone, um, and then still kind of come back from a double digits deficit in that fourth quarter was absolutely awesome. The place was electric uh, when they got that interception of Jimmy G in the uh, fourth quarter. And, um, you know, no, don't know that I'll have a, uh, an experience uh, in a live sporting event that's that great again if i do it's going to be a while and as good as that experience was it somehow won't go down as the biggest football game at sofi stadium this year we can start talking <laughs> super bowl the rams the designated away team playing in their home stadium of course against the Bengals. current line as we record this thursday afternoon pacific time rams minus four and a half total 48 and a half and I know that once we hit this stage of the Super Bowl market, those numbers are more or less locked in for a little while. But do you have any read right now on the cider total from a betting perspective? My lean would be Cincinnati at the current price, four and a half. Uh, my fare on this one is Rams by four. Um, I was surprised to see it tick up to four and a half, honestly. Um, I don't have a great sense as to why the market was so interested you know 24 you know limits were up obviously so uh, people get pretty good bets down i'm not sure why people were scrambling to make sure they grabbed the four even when it was kind of juicy um there's you know the the matchups in this one are pretty clearly well defined in favor of the rams i feel like the um you know certainly the matchups in the trenches are about as big of a mismatch on both sides in favor of the Rams as any game of this magnitude that I can remember in a while. And yeah, that ought to matter, but um, you know, there are still some things about the way Stafford plays quarterback. There are still some things about the way that um, you know, this Bengals defense, particularly their secondary has performed over the balance of these playoffs that gives you some uh, expectation that they're going to keep the Rams from scoring you know, scoring quickly and running away with this thing. Um, and just the fact that you went on the road to Arrowhead and, you know, you basically faced a sure defeat and, you know, turned your uh, fortunes around and got the win. Um, you know, it's going to be tough to count these guys out, even if, if the game state is, you know, pretty hard negative against them. Um, so there's enough of a, an indication that the Bengals are going to be competitive in this contest that I don't mind taking them with the points. Uh, I haven't made any bets yet. Obviously, I have huge, uh, you know, you know, huge betting interest in the Rams winning, but I don't care by how much. <laughs> so, uh, you know, realistically, uh, you know, I, my most of my uh, my rooting interest is for the Rams to win. Um, however, uh, you know, I think. The, you know, Stafford scares me a little and, you know, him potentially throwing a pick in this game, particularly if the you know Bengals are playing drop eight coverage could completely swing, uh, swing the balance. So, um, you know, I think uh, I have a lot more thinking to do about the matchups and, and really grinding out some of the, uh, you know, the, the specific player performance expectations. But um, at the current numbers, my leans would be Bengals and under.
I picked up on you mentioning concern about Stafford a couple times there, and that reminds me of one of the joys of my NFL season, getting to do the Bet US NFL show with Pro Betters Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen out in Vegas. And Chris has mentioned multiple times, as a Lions fan, he is very familiar with Stafford, and he has mentioned that Stafford this year has thrown more pick sixes than Aaron Rodgers in his entire career. So that's a bit of perspective about the variance involved with Stafford in that offense. I get the trepidation from your perspective. But one thing I was going to bring up later, I think we can just unpack right now. You mentioned a lot of betting interest in the Rams. A lot of this audience is going to know why. But for the unacquainted, (laughs) can you lay out why you've got a lot of vested interest in the Rams already, whether or not you bet them at this point spread or on the money line? Yeah, so most people probably who have done, you know, been betting for a long time in their careers would remember or would understand what a Calcutta is. Calcutta is basically an auction um, where, you know, price the price of any given team depends on how much the pot ultimately gets to of all, you know, the value of all the teams. And so it's a dynamic kind of bidding environment where you're trying to come up with number one, well, what's my fair price given some assumption of the pot? And then number two, uh, you know, once you get a couple of teams that you're interested in, then you got to play a little defense and make sure that your opponents are overbidding for their teams so that the pot gets a little juicier and you can scoop all that value. And um, we play this game for college basketball is kind of the classic example. You bet 64 teams or you, you bundle up some of the, you know, some of the some of the dregs. But, uh, you know, you bid out all the teams and, and uh, you know, you get a, you get a specific portion of the pot for every win along the way. And um, in the Calcutta that we do with some of our high stakes friends in the content creation space, um, I ended up with the Bills and the Rams. And obviously, I mean, I went in there with kind of specifically targeting those two teams because there's a bunch of side pots like biggest win against the spread and most turnovers and biggest loss and, uh, you know, most fourth down conversions. And I was looking at all of that and I was like, man, the bills have a chance to scoop a couple of those. The Rams could scoop a couple of the other ones. So, you know, they had a little extra value to me as I was bidding. Um, and, uh, you know, boy, if this had been a Rams bill Super Bowl, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, you're retiring after this yeah kicking my feet back <laughs> i'm not retiring but i'd be you know just absolutely insufferably gloating over how uh you know scooping the whole pot but um un, but uh for sure um you know once the rams won their second game uh i was um in in the money on them Right. So I've gotten back more of the pot for the Rams getting to this point and, you know, getting to the getting to the NFC championship game. I'd gotten more money back than I'd spent buying them. So I was, you know, you know in the money. And then the win of the NFC championship game, obviously another uh, huge chunk, I think 10 percent of the pot on that one. And then the winner of the uh, Super Bowl will get 13 percent of the pot. So um, at this point, uh, you know, the fact that the Rams have what, 65, 70 percent, 60, yeah, 67, 65 ish percent chance to win. Uh, that has me pretty, uh, pretty excited. So I think, um, you know, as we get closer, I have some tough decisions to make about trying to extract, uh, at least some of the, uh, value that's already in hand. Um, but ultimately I'm probably going to let a lot of it ride. How much of that Rams exposure via the Calcutta is impacting your betting decisions when it comes to what to do with the Super Bowl specifically? A lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, this is a pretty big, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a limit better, but I definitely, d- this will be the largest uh, potential windfall for one game uh, that I will have had um, by a decent amount, not by a lot, but not like two X, like, uh, but uh, I've had some swings that were big. This would be, uh, um, yeah, this would be a, a pretty big win. So for for sure, um, you know, I haven't spent the money in my head. I haven't, you know, I'm not like overthinking this or anything. But but uh, um, the idea of not having to take any position at all and just being able to kick back and enjoy the game and cross my fingers is is definitely appealing. Yeah, and I think a common concept, a lot of people this time of year wondering what to do with hedging possibilities. And my general MO is if it's not life-changing money or you don't have an edge, just let it ride. If you are looking at 
something that can be life-changing in any way, then of course that can change the equation. So totally fair game with a lean already to the Bengals. If you do end up going their way, it's been interesting to your point earlier about the market going up on the Rams. When this line opened three and a half, my first thought was, all right, well, if it goes up to four or four and a half, like we've seen it do not a big deal, but I don't know who's betting the Rams right now. Cause even if you like them, even if you know what the score of this game will be, just market timing would suggest wait and see if the three and a half comes down a tick because one tick down to three is worth a lot more than several ticks up the other way. So that's yeah, been a that's bit true. perplexing to me, um, but I'm just going to see if the money line might offer an opportunity for anybody to get involved on the Rams who would like to do so. Right now, their money line about minus 210 is a consensus number. And I know you're probably more experienced in this than I am when it comes to what we tend to see with the Super Bowl favorite on the money line as we get closer to game day. Uh, could you elaborate just a bit on that trend that we typically see every year? And if you didn't have any Rams exposure already, do you think there might be a general buy price in mind if we see a certain floor for that Rams money line? Ooh, uh, I haven't thought through this yet. This is a good, I might turn this around and ask you for some feedback on this. Cause I, I, it seems like you have thought this through at least a little bit and I really haven't, but um, there's generally, you know, in any game of this magnitude and even in this game, as far as I understand this particular market and the way it's shaping up, like we are still a week and change away. There's still going to be a lot more money that is wagered on this one before the, you know, before the handle is measured. Right. And even now I think the split is pretty unbalanced in favor of the Bengals as far as, you know, just tickets written and, and dollars wagered. So they're building, you know, the books are taking a little bit of a stand here on the Rams, which is interesting um and what happens with a lot of these games of this magnitude is you know betters tend to rather than take the plus the points take the money line for the dog um and you can have a situation happen where you're the you know you have a little bit of a spread open up where um there's either value on the dog with the points or value to take the money line with the favorite because it's just a little bit of a disconnect from what we understand the true correlation between those two prices ought to be um, there's enough NFL games and enough data at this point that I don't think anyone would strongly argue that at f minus four and a half, the money line should be minus two Oh five or something like that, whatever the number is like something in that ballpark. And if in reality, because there's pressure on the Bengals money line to pushing that, you know, bringing that number into minus minus one eighty. If it closes minus four and a half and you have minus 180 in the money line on the board, there's probably a plus EV bet to be made on the Rams money line. Um, that would have yeah. been my answer. If you turned it yeah. around and asked me minus 180 <laughs> is the magic number in my yeah. head. I don't know if we see that again. I think it did exist for a bit when this point spread was a bit lower. But I think that if we see minus four and a half on game day and minus 180 on the money line, that's just something that you're not going to see in pretty much any other setting. So if I don't see any value on the side, that's still the way I'd look to get in play if I were inclined to back the Rams. Yeah, I, I think that you're on the right track. Like the in the gut, the you know, the recreational player, this is maybe one of a few examples all year where volume tends to actually influence the market in some way. And I have I haven't heard anyone really refute that. It might not even be true. <laughs> like like yeah, these these you know these the the markets are so uh, so efficient, and there's so much money to be made betting the NFL that for all I know that that's not even true anymore. But um, you know, to some degree, um, you know the the sentiment of well, if I'm going to bet the favorite, I'll just lay the points because I want that price. If I'm going to bet the dog, I'm going to take the money line because I want that price independent of how they're correlated, uh, you know, considering the market overall, um, that would tell you that you're inclined to either take the points with the dog or lay the, uh, lay the money line price with the favorite for a game of like this. So, yeah, it's, it's something we tend to see every year, still waiting to see if it comes into play this time around. And while we wait for that, I'll also note one that I have on the total, I'm leaning toward the under with you. I know this opened on the other side of 50, but once we're, it, it was never 51 and it's probably never going to touch 47. So maybe we're in a bit of a dead zone, kind of like we are with the point spread, which is unfortunate in terms of betting appeal and market activity. But with this being where we are, I would still lean under because one of my biggest factors in the game right now is trying to figure out where I might be able to trust either coach. A lot of early down runs with both of these teams lately. 
and they've been getting bailed out by things that I'm not so sure are sustainable. The Bengals just won their third straight playoff game by largely winning the turnover battle. I know they've done plenty of other things well, and Burrow has been great. I don't want to knock what they've done well, but when you're winning the turnover battle week over week, that can bail you out when Zach Taylor's running Joe Mixon up the middle seemingly every single first down. And the Rams aren't exempt from that kind of thing. I mean, maybe we can see the connection even more clearly between Zach Taylor and Sean McVay because McVay has been operating pretty similarly lately. And the Rams last week, uh, turnovers, not necessarily why they won that game, but instead I would look at third downs. They were 11 for 18 on third down. Yes, that's a great conversion rate, but having 18 third down attempts in one game is a red flag in and of itself. That says something about what the Rams are doing, running the ball too much early in my book. And so I'm trying to think about something like early down success rate, one of the advanced metrics, being more predictive than turnovers and third downs, which have been swinging in favor of the Bengals and Rams, respectively, of late. Yes. I mean, I just think if you've got Burrow, Chase, and Higgins, and you've got Stafford and Cup and OBJ on the other side, why is the running game such a point of emphasis? I know it's not as simple as saying, hey, we have a good quarterback and good receivers. We're going to pass every play. I don't want to be somebody just going all in on that extreme. But I think that the notion of balance in the run game doesn't have to mean you're running 50% of the time or anywhere near it. It can just mean you're running enough to keep a defense honest, but still letting your big skill position players do what they do best. I'm not sure either coach puts their team in that position. And for that reason, I'm giving the under a good look right now. Yeah, I, that's completely reasonable. There's a lot of paths to victory for the under. Uh, if there's a plus EV bet to be made this moment, and you you told me that there is what is it i'm probably i'm guessing it's the under um the games could get short uh the idea of the Bengals succeeding in the drop eight against mahomes and the fact that they could play four quarters of that against stafford and then mcveigh is incentivized to run um and just completely wipe out this clock that's real um the fact that the Rams D line could utterly disrupt um, their, you know, third down obvious passing downs for the uh, Bengals and keep them from scoring, keep, you know, scoring drives into, you know, red zone drives into field goals or, um, you know, field goals into punts. That seems real to me. Um, And so this could be a lower scoring contest. I could see that for sure. Um, Your broader point, which I think is maybe worth doubling back on. These are two four seeds in the Super Bowl. And as much as the general sentiment becomes, let's laud these guys because as they got here, both of these teams kind of succeeded in spite of their coaching in a lot of ways. Specifically, their offensive sequencing and their offensive, you know, some of the some of the decision making in terms of how they were going to do things offensively. Um, And I don't even really know who is luckier to be here because <laughs> they're both pretty lucky. The uh, the Rams got a, a novice coaching QB on the road in, in week one. That was because that team couldn't win their week 18 game against the Seahawks, <laughs> right? Like they got a home game and they got that win because of that. You know, that was, that was a done deal because of the, who they placed. That was a hugely advantage spot for them. Advantage spot against the Buccaneers as well because they went up against a team that was down like a million important players. So like that was one of the more injury-ridden squads that made the playoffs. And then, you know, to get that to be your second-round opponent on the road I thought was a huge advantage. Um, The Niners did the dirty work for them, eliminating the Packers uh, and gifting them a home NFC Championship game as a four-seed, which is fluky. Um, And... They got to place a Niners team that was also limping into that game, having played seven of nine, you know, seventh road game of nine weeks, um, fourth straight road game. Um, and, you know, I thought as you watch that game and as I've watched the replay since, that defense ran out of gas. Like they were just, they were exhausted. And, um, and you got to face a quarterback that, you know, has a broken thumb and a separated shoulder. So it was like, there's a, there's a lot going in your favor if you're the Rams to get to this point. Um, and then with the Bengals, similar story. Like you got to face a Raiders team that qualified because of a pretty fluky uh, win over the Chargers in week 18. Um, you just barely escape that game, by the way, because you because there was an incompletion off of Sam Hubbard's helmet 
that prevented a Waller touchdown that would have made that a game, right? And um, the uh, so that was kind of a lucky win against the Raiders. Uh, it was a lucky-ish win against the Titans. I mean, they you played you played a fine game, you played a clean game in that one, but you got sacked nine times <laughs> for crying out loud, and you got the beneficiary, you got the benefit of three turnovers, three interceptions, the first pass and the last pass of the game you know you picked off and interceptions aren't sustainable game to game year to year so that was a little fluky and then i still really don't understand what the hell happened against the chiefs like the second half of that game was so mind-boggling in terms of what pat Mahomes was doing that you know i don't want to i don't want to say it was luck because obviously they made some adjustments and they did some things really 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 well and they caught a couple of bounces they had a short field that they turned into seven points and or eight points excuse me eight Mm -hmm. points and uh and then they win in overtime with Mahomes just completely losing his mind so you know if they face the Bills on the road in that AFC championship game I don't see that being a competitive game at all I think the Bills would have absolutely run them over uh and uh you know it's it I think in general all your points about each coach in the way that they called each game, particularly McVeigh, in-game decision-making is highly suspect. So, yeah, these guys are lucky to be here. Are they going to make decisions that take points off the, off the board? I would say it's a, it's a good guess, yes. On that note, I think we've covered a lot of good ground looking at the spread, money line, and total. Also, don't want to leave props out of the equation as we take our early look at the Super Bowl. This year, probably a trend we'll see in years to come as regulation sweeps across the country. Seems like the prop market opened up about as early as I've ever seen it. So we do have some pretty substantial options on the board. We'll get to some of those in a bit. But right off the bat, in general, do you have a prop betting strategy that you tend to adhere to year over year? Yeah, I tend to bet known information and skip all the rest. <laughs> That's more or less <laughs> that easy. my MO. Yeah. It's that that's the way we do about it. We we track down some anthem stuff, some halftime show stuff, some Gatorade stuff, and we call it a Super Bowl. <laughs> that's kind of the way it goes. There are really, really, really outstanding prop originators. And I'm not one of those guys. Um, I will catch some, yeah, we have some we have some friends who are quite sharp who do some good prop origination. Um, if I see any of their stuff that I think, oh yeah, that's plus EV, that makes sense. Like I'll get involved. Uh, you know, I'll tail some of that. Um, I'm not originating any props myself for this one outside of what I think are pretty clear game state related stuff where because because guess because the way that the prop market works, they try to they they overextend themselves opening as much as possible. Right. So your choices are I'm going to come up with my fares in my robust way that I do week in, week out. And I'm going to do it faster and I'm going to beat the people, you know, beat the market into shape. And that's how I'm going to grind my edge. I'm I'm not capable of doing that. I know it. Like I don't have the infrastructure in place. I don't do it week in, week out. So I'm not going to do it for the Super Bowl. Um, The the alternative way of approaching it is like, okay, I know how an originator is going to approach this. And I know that whatever mean value or median value they land on that they're going to bet this number to is going to be fundamentally biased because of something else that's not accounted for because of an interesting wrinkle about this matchup or this game. Does that check out? Yeah, I think to your point about some of our mutual friends who are quite sharp and can originate this stuff, there's a Twitter group chat that we're both a part of, and I just feel so fortunate to be in such sharp company. I know that we can give a shout out to our mutual friend who goes by at SH8 model on Twitter. I believe somebody else brought up the point I'm getting to here as far as one prop that I saw originated by somebody else, but I still found value in the marketplace to get down on it for myself. And that would be no onside kick attempt in the game. And Hmm. the price point, I, I got minus 180 and still seeing 185s and even some 215s out there. I would be good with this up to minus 250 based on my understanding. And uh, Hector, SH8 model, noted that in the regular season, a record low of onside kick attempts, 56. And I would extrapolate that to say also that came in a record high number of games for a regular season, 
272 games with the 18th week tacked on this year. And if we're assuming no games had multiple attempts, the max percentage of games with an onside kick attempt is right around 20%. That equates to a line of minus 400. If we're doing just a no big line, minus 400 plus 400. If we look at minus 180, uh, maybe juice it up a bit since, you know, let's say minus 215 is now the prevailing number. Uh, the percentage implied by minus 215 is, doing some quick math here. All right, so that's 68%. Um, so if we just basically say 20% of games had on sidekick attempts. Yep. And this is telling us that if the Super Bowl odds are 31%, you know, that's, that's quite a big delta. Uh, yes. Right there. Yeah. I know it's the Super Bowl. Teams might do things they don't normally do out of desperation or just to maybe try to catch somebody off guard like, you know, Sean Payton against the Colts years ago. But realistically, with this kind of edge, I mean, I don't know if it's more likely to the extent that one in five games in the regular season reduces to one in three playoff games should see an onside kick offhand offhand. I don't know if I've seen an onside kick yet this postseason. And with guys like McVeigh and Taylor, I don't see them as the biggest risk takers. Some people view them as innovative and analytical. I think with a lot of game management, they tend not to take a lot of chances. So I want to see what you think about that possible look at no onside kick attempt. Yeah, I think that's a, a fun, fair way to do it. A similar one that I would look at or try to find is if you can track down like number of players to attempt a pass. Uh, I like over two and a half there. Um, I think both of these offenses, we have seen them practice that trick play in action this season. Um, Cooper Cup has a pass attempt. Odell Beckham Jr. has a pass attempt. T. Higgins has a pass attempt. Johnny Hecker has four pass attempts <laughs> this season. Um, so the chances that there's a trick play that is run where a, a, somebody not Stafford and not Burrow attempts a pass, I think is pretty decent. Um, I haven't found the best price on this available yet, so I haven't bet it. But I do think that uh, in the same sort of mindset of um, you know, what could be different about this game or special like that one rings true to me as uh, there could be some trickeration. Is there a number that you have looked at for this bet before? I know still shopping around, letting the market do its thing this Super Bowl cycle, but that's one that I do know has made the rounds in years past. Just wondering if historically, if you have any numbers that you tend to look for. So if somebody's listening to this now, they have a general ballpark of what price would probably be acceptable on the yes. Yeah, yes is anything uh, you need plus money without a doubt. I would realistically need something in the ballpark of uh, plus 150 for over two and a half. Got it. It's yeah, not, one it's of not, my... yeah, it's not, it's not a better than 50, 50 chance that there is a, a trick play. Yeah. Yeah. Generally that's one that I tend to look toward the note. You brought up some good points about this matchup. That's why this can be so helpful to have these conversations because what we might see on a season long basis or league wide doesn't necessarily apply to these two teams in the Super Bowl with a one game sample size. And usually I'll look toward the no because it's so memorable. I mean, OBJ throwing that pass against the Cardinals in the wild card round. If we seek up throw a pass or, yeah, somehow the Rams punter is also probably, I don't know, maybe one of the top 50 quarterbacks in the world if we look at, you know, some metrics with the way they have him throwing the ball from time to time. But um, it all comes down to the price, and it can be hard to forget all the times that this doesn't happen because it's yeah. so memorable when it does come through. Um, but to your point about that price tag, last year I remember locking in the no on game day because I saw a plus 160 on the under two and a half players to attempt to pass. Oh, I'm almost wow. positive that was meant to be a minus one six, yeah, just yeah, a typographical yeah, yeah, error yeah. right before kickoff. Um, so if you can you know, find plus money on either side of that, I think you it, it, to the tune of plus one fifty, either over or under, I think is a good bet because it's it should be, uh, you know, fair fair percentage on this for these two teams should be like around forty forty two. Yeah. I think that uh, that one, as the market develops, I'll certainly be keeping a close eye on. One more that I want to throw out there that I think is actionable now because I'm not sure it's going to last too long is a player prop. And I'm going to piece together things that I've heard from the Hitman, Fezzik, and Las Vegas Chris that have led me to look this way. Cam Akers, over 65 and a half rushing yards. I think that that's about the ceiling for this prop. It has already come up a little bit. So I want to be mindful of the number, but up to 65 and a half, feel pretty good about it. One thing in general with Super Bowl props, if you're looking to bet overs, you want to take them early. If you're looking to bet unders, you can wait a while. 
not a bulletproof rule, but I think a good rule of thumb nevertheless. And as it pertains to Akers here, the Bengals defense, a pretty big step down in class, having had the Niners and the Bucks these last couple of weeks. I also think the bye week can really help him, obviously coming back remarkably fast from an Achilles injury. All the credit in the world to him and the Rams staff for just having him on the field at this point. But also a shoulder injury took him out of the NFC title game before that he was on the fast track to go over his total against the Niners. I think had he stayed in the game, this line for the Super Bowl would be even higher. I also think we might be getting a bit of a free roll when it comes to game script. I mean, the Rams are a favorite, and it's a fairly sizable favorite. And we talked about McVay being pretty run heavy lately. Mm -hmm. So if the game just breaks a certain way that's not all that implausible, the Rams could be giving it to Akers early and often. And then one thing I heard this uh, specific point Fezzik brought up, aggregating the total yards for the players on both teams and comparing that to the point spread for this game, basically the Rams are coming at a discount with their overs and the Bengals are being priced at a premium. You'd think usually with a four and a half point favorite, if you look at the average total yardage edge that a four and a half point favorite will have in a game, it's bigger than what these prop numbers are implying. If you just add up everything for, you know, Burrow passing yards, Chase Higgins receiving yards, and so on. Take that for all the teams. Essentially, the Rams are coming at a slight discount relative to being a four and a half point favorite. And one more thing I'll note, and this uh, I'll give a hat tip to LVC. In the Super Bowl, you know, something like a backfield split that might be 60 40 during the regular season, yeah. that's going to favor the better player even more strongly. And oh, yeah. yeah. Sony Michelle, fine player, but Cam Akers, if we can assume any reasonable degree of health, clearly the better player. So what might be 60-40 in regular circumstances, I don't know, maybe 75-25, 80-20 in the Super Bowl. So I just think that Akers could be in line for a fairly big day over up to 65 and a half on his rushing yards, the first player prop in my Super Bowl portfolio. I like that. I think that uh, checks out in terms of just overall concept. Um, I'll give you one that's kind of a fun game statey one, kind of piggybacking on our little coaching discussion there. Team to call the first time out in the game is basically line 50-50. And I will be damned if that's true, fair. Like, it is almost certainly the Rams likely to burn a timeout before the Bengals do, just through the nature of a bad challenge, uh, a, a, a potential delay of game calling. You know, McVay is uh, very liberal uh, with blowing timeouts, uh, as, you know, as evidenced in the, in the NFC Championship game. Um but uh, yeah, I would say if you can find anything that, you know, any of those markets that are lined about even, and I'm looking at a couple right now in the offshore space, um, you know, Rams to call the first time out is one that I, I especially like. I like that angle. I couldn't believe how he was just giving away challenges and timeouts in the biggest moment of the Ram season. And it didn't come back to bite them last week, which sometimes when coaches have a shaky process and get rewarded for it, they're maybe not going to second guess it the way they should. I can't fault that look. And as you talk about that, I'm loving this back and forth. One more that I'm seeing priced <laughs> about 50-50 right now. A two-way market would be the second half to outscore the first half. And that's an annual staple of mine that tends to get steamed up in a hurry as the game approaches. But right now I'm still seeing some minus 110, minus 115 available. And I think conceptually in the first half, a lot of teams don't want to blow the game. A lot of nerves, you don't want to lose it early. And in the second half, there's no need to hold back. A lot of teams will just empty the tank. And especially with these coaches, once again, that's a common thread in this conversation. McVay and Taylor, we can count on a lot of early down runs, especially early in the game when we're guaranteed at least a little while with a fairly neutral game state. Later on, assuming a team's going to be trailing, they're going to at least have to get a little pass heavy. So I think second half outscoring the first half, one of my favorite annual staples, still seeing it a good price right now. I'd be pretty quick to put that in pocket. And I would just endorse reading the fine print. There are some books offering this on a two-way line where ties push. Other books offer three-way lines where it's first half, second half. And then if it's a tie, you don't get the push. The The tied score amount for both halves would essentially be a big like 20 to 1 payout or something like that because it's a bit of a needle in a haystack. I think that difference between a two-way and three-way line worth about 10 cents. And I'll just call it, you know, good up to minus 145 on a two-way line where a tie would push. And if your tie would lose, should the second half and first half have the same point total, I would take the second half over the first half up to minus 135. One more very subtle thing here. Some books will count overtime toward the second half total. Other books won't. Probably not going to see overtime in this one, but just in case we do, 
if you are looking at two lines and they're all equal, except for the fact that one book is counting overtime, slight edge to go ahead and take that number. I dig it. That's very cool. I have one more for you. Uh, all this right, is maybe my favorite of the entire uh, prop options that are out there right now. And I almost can't even believe that this is real, but it is. I am looking at it right now at a very prominent, prominent offshore book that is that has just taken my bet on this. Team to score the longest field goal. We have right now Cincinnati plus 100, Rams minus 130. There is a decent chance that there's something not right with Matt Gay. There is a decent chance that he is dealing with a, a meaningful injury as evidenced by the fact that he was completely unable to hit from distance in both the Tampa Bay game and the San Francisco game. In fact, I was actually surprised that Sean McVay even trotted uh, Matt Gay out there to attempt a, what was a 52 or 54 yarder uh, against the Niners. Um, that one was dead on delivery. Uh, it was never even close in terms of distance, let alone accuracy. And I think that there is a decent chance that McVay knows now he's learned the hard way. Hey, I'm not going to trot my guy out there to try a 54 yarder because he isn't right. Um, on the flip side, the Cincinnati Bengals very inclined to let McPherson go from distance. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you, if you look at the, um, uh, if you look at the game props at a certain, uh, sports book that is, you know, managed social media team by Mr. Mason, uh, there is a team to score the longest field goal Cincinnati plus 100, and they will take a, a $500 bet on that. So, uh, they have my money, uh, because I think McPherson will go, uh, for a 40, a high forties, low fifties in this game. And I think Matt Gay, uh, if he's kicking field goals, they're going to be of the 35-yard variety. So uh, that one is uh, kind of a head-scratcher why the Rams would be favored. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're favored because they're favored in the game, so the odds might be that they kick another field goal. But I really like your breakdown there, and I, uh, as you're going, if I'm looking off-screen, then uh, I'm just shopping for it. Yeah, um, okay. I'm, I'm not quite seeing even money for the Bengals, but I'm seeing some reduced VIG at some recreational books. And I think uh, one of the most prominent market makers has this probably priced more properly. Bengals, the minus 120 favorite here. Okay. Um, so that subtle edge can be, you know, a lot more value. If I'm seeing a market maker at Bengals minus 120 and elsewhere, you can take it for even money or a minus 105. That's probably telling you without that handicap that you gave us, those numbers alone are probably telling you which way to look there. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, my fare on that would be somewhere in like the minus 200 ballpark. So I think there's a pretty massive EV on this one right now. Love it. All right. So we've got quite a few that we've already got in pocket. And I think in the sites, I'll check in with you in a sec to see if there's anything that you haven't bet yet, but you have any plans to bet just based on letting the market do its thing. And one that I'll throw out there would be a team to score three unanswered times. We usually see this approach the range of minus 200 come game day or close to it. So I want to bet it late because right now the prices are a little bit higher. But the market, again, a lot of people will see a prop like that. And it sounds like it's really specific and threading the needle. So people want to take a nice plus payout thinking that sounds pretty unlikely. But if we're laying at minus 200, we have a break-even probability of 67%. Mm -hmm. I think the true odds of this belong on the other side of 70%. And I get it. In close games... It can be scary. The Rams, a clear favorite, but it's not like they're a massive favorite. This game could be close and it shouldn't surprise anybody. But going back to just last week, we had two games decided by three points and the AFC title game, the Bengals went on a run of scoring three unanswered times and the NFC title game, both teams had runs of scoring three unanswered times. A subtle edge here, even though we're looking for a team to score three straight times, that doesn't necessarily require multiple stops from a defense because you could have a team score at the end of the first half and come out getting the ball to start the second half. So there's a lot of paths to get this one home, even in close games. So if anybody sees minus 200 for the yes on a team to score three unanswered times as game day approaches, that's one that I can certainly endorse. But for now, just patiently waiting. I agree with your breakdown on that. That sounds like a great way to attack that market. And um, I think your probabilities were pretty close to what I would have guessed. Love it. All right. Well, a lot of good food for thought, not just on the game, but on the prop market. I've been loving this, Drew. One more thing NFL related before we move on to a few sports getting into the mode of life after football. I want to talk raw numbers versus win probability with you for a moment here, because I think that you've broken this down about as 
well as anybody I can think of over the last year or two. When it comes to power ratings, home field advantage, something people are thinking about for the Super Bowl with the Rams. Do we give him half a point? Um, injuries, how much is a player worth relative to his replacement? A lot of times it's just a raw, oh, this quarterback is worth a touchdown. This home field is two and a half points. Power ratings say these teams are even, call it home field advantage, and that's that. But when it comes to something like the Super Bowl, let's just use this point spread. It opened three and a half. It's up to four and a half. So that's a full point of movement. We might even see five. Even if we give the Super Bowl spread one and a half points of movement upward, I would still say that's substantially less significant than it taking one half point down to the king of key numbers in three. So that's where I think we have to be careful about working with raw numbers and really think in terms of win probability. You seem to do that, again, as well as about anybody I've come across. So if you could elaborate on that concept a bit, maybe it applies to the way some people look at the Super Bowl and also just something people can keep in mind as we get inevitably super excited for football to return fast forwarding a few months to the summertime. Yeah. So the, there's a very fundamental rule that you have to have when you're thinking about any point movement in the NFL. And that is not all points are created equally. In fact, the disparity between a point like three and a point like five, five might as well not even exist. Like it's that big of a disparity. And this is all because of push probability of a game landing with a winning, you know, winning team has a margin of three is most common by far. And it's not even close. That's why advantage teaser. If you're not going through three, what are you doing? Um, and so for a lot of people who come make conversation about what is home field advantage worth, what is a player worth? You're absolutely right. They tend to look at, well, the line was this and now it's this. The delta is blank points. That's how much it's worth. Um, however, again, keep in mind, well, it's it, it's blank points, but were those points meaningful points? Uh, and you can very clearly have an example of where in terms of win probability change, a move from two and a half to three and a half of one point is a magnitude of order greater than a three-point move from three and a half to six and a half. Right. And that may not check out to some people and be like, well, no, no, like that guy's out. Line moved three points. This is a big deal. It's like, well, the win probability you just scooped by having those three points was less than if you had a different example and it moved across three. And so thinking through all of this in the context of win probability in the same way as, as, you know, as, as do I lay the points or do I take the money line with the favorite? Um, you know, you need to be thinking about this in terms of which of these markets is driving. Um, and then on the flip side, what is the um, underlying uh, win probability that, you know, that is the, what's the math answer here? Because there is one. And because football is scored in a very unique way, uh, you know, it tends to disguise some of this stuff. So uh, I tend to work almost entirely in win probability space. Um, and then I come up with uh, an expected percentile score and I go to a discrete distribution of actual points scored by NFL teams and I pick off that, uh, you know, that score and that's my expectation. And that has a tendency of consolidating you onto common NFL scores like, you know, you're going to land on 24 and 27 and 23 more often because they represent huge bins within your discrete distribution of what's actually happened in NFL, uh, you know, in NFL games throughout the years. And so um, I would basically recommend anyone take, take this into due consideration as you're, you're applying a power rating or as you're making an adjustment for, you know, home away versus neutral or, um, you know, this player out, this player in. So great segue. I though. think that was, brilliantly said i don't think we can go out on a higher note than that with this nfl breakdown not just talking some super bowl bets but also a lot of really good strategy and process and before we stop talking sports altogether, maybe we can move into a bit of a rapid fire segment with some sporting events life after football if you will for people catching this episode on the day of its release we've got the winter olympics opening ceremony tomorrow and i know drew that in general you're a little down on the USA, but if we're feeling patriotic, there are some ways that we can pick our spots. So what's your approach to the Winter Olympics this time around? And do you see any actionable angles at this stage? Yeah. Uh, as we sit back and look at the in a macro sense, I feel like this is going to be chaos. Um, we're already seeing it where, uh, you know, the, the market leader 
for three gold medals in Nordic combined. The two individuals and the team for Norway uh, got popped with the positive COVID test. What does that do? Well, now all of a sudden, Germany should probably be the favorite in that market for the team Nordic combined. Uh, and honestly, Austria and Germany's win probability of those individual medals go way up if he can't compete. Um, this is going to continue to happen. It's happened with speed, you know, speed skaters already. It's happened with uh, cross-country skiers already. And it'll continue to happen as we go through these two weeks. So there will be some dog prices that come in. This is not a... Uh, a games where you're gonna really identify some athletes that are like really high likelihood of actually winning gold medals so i would steer clear of laying juice in general um i think the expectation of for norway are way overstated i think that this is going to be a dogfight for them to win most golds between norway germany and russia uh, i think in general um they're uh, the u.s team is taking a weak team to china um, we have a lot of expected gold medals and events that require judging and the Chinese aren't necessarily going to give us a fair shake considering the geopolitical environment. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, there are a couple of us athletes that I think are worth taking shots on. And my, in general, my approach was under, under gold medals for the U S but then come through and try to pick off some that I think have reasonable shots. Um, the uh, notable name this weekend is going to be Michaela Schifrin in the giant slalom. This is her best event. She's defending champion. And in general, the market is soft on her because she did not have an especially impressive last month on the World Cup circuit. But I think a lot of that was cautionary. I think a lot of that was uh, preserving her fitness for this event. Um, and uh, realistically, she doesn't have a competitor that really scares me much uh, across the uh, the women's alpine skiing uh, field. So uh, I think Michaela Schifrin, I bet into her at plus 300 to win the women's giant slalom. Um, and if that materializes, if that happens, then we go right against her in the slalom because there are a couple of other events that she will be uh, you know, her price will, will drift if she wins the giant slalom Alpine combined slalom are the two that come to mind. Um, and I think it will be fair to kind of go against her in those two, if she pulls off the, uh, the gold medal in her first event. Love it. And you mentioned getting plus 300. Is there a market consensus number now that you're seeing that still looks good? Or would you say there's a price floor that you'd recommend for anybody looking to do some last minute Olympics betting shopping? I would play it down to 200. Plus 200 anything lower than that and i'm skipping fair and similarly with the u.s olympic medal count um, i know this does all boil down to the number ultimately is there a price floor that you have for I, USA yeah under? i wouldn't i wouldn't lay more than one minus 110 on under eight and a half my projection for them is seven and a half but a ton of those are long shots small likelihood added up to get them to seven and a half even um, so a lot has to go right for this U.S. Olympic team to meet its expectation in the market right now. Uh, eight, my, eight, under eight and a half minus 110 is as low as I would go, though. All right. So if you don't feel like it would be a treasonous act, maybe some <laughs> betting value. Team USA under eight and a half golds in Beijing. Drew, I also want to touch on the NBA and tennis briefly because I know you really excel in those areas. This time of year, uh, I guess both basketball and tennis, like a two-parter here with those sports. Um, how would you outline your approach to those sports? And are there any angles that you're eyeing right now that you think might be actionable for people starved of betting opportunities once Super Sunday has come and gone? Yeah. So as difficult as the NFL season was for me, um, I ran like God in NBA through this point in the season and I'm due for some regression. So I've got I'm like looking <laughs> over my shoulder right now because I know it can't end this good. Um, and in general, the NBA is starting to get a little weird. Uh, they're starting to lose a little bit of focus from some of these players as we get close to the all-star break, as we get close to the trade deadline, as we get close to some of these teams calling it a season. Um, Tankathon is going to be on in March and April. Um, so it's, it's going to get weird and it's going to be challenging handicapping over the next two months, but the playoffs are stacked up really well. And the Eastern conference is wide open. The Brooklyn Nets are a way, way, way over bet favorite. There is 
very little to like about what they are doing right now and their current form. And KD has been injured. I know he'll be back. I know. But James Harden isn't anywhere close to the same player that was expected as these prices were set preseason. Kyrie Irving isn't anywhere close to the same player or available as often as you would have hoped uh, if you are expecting the Nets to make a playoff run here. So uh, realistically, I'm I'm bearish on the Nets. I would take shots on Heat, on Sixers as decent uh, looks in the Eastern Conference. Even the Celtics right now playing really decent basketball and a little bit underpriced to win the Atlantic, to win uh, and to to make some noise in the playoffs. They could make a very impactful trade at the deadline if they so choose, and uh, I'll be watching closely for that. Um, in the West, it's all about the Suns for me. I have lots of Suns exposure at this point. This is a team that I have been backing regularly throughout the duration of the season and uh, no sign of stopping because they are, you know, sh- short of a Chris Paul injury, this is the best team in the West by margin. People want to cheer for the Curry comeback in the Clay Thompson comeback narrative out of Golden State, but I got to tell you that that's just a bad matchup for them going up against the Suns team when they're at full strength. So, um, very excited to see uh, the Suns uh, realize their potential and win a uh, win a chip this year. Got it. Yeah, I'm looking right now. I see. I know you mentioned the Heat among other teams for the East. Uh, Miami. I'm I'm seeing six to one to win the conference. Yeah, the Nets a prohibitive favorite. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I was trying to shop this as you were outlining it so I could get some numbers in play here. Did you mention Philadelphia as well? Milwaukee. Philadelphia, I think, is is pretty dangerous. Milwaukee is good, but boy, do they lack depth this year. Uh, it may not be their year. I mean, Giannis is still the best player uh, when it comes to a playoff series. But uh, Milwaukee and the Brooklyn Nets both spook me, um, surely. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think you're going to want to take a shot in the East this year. Gotcha. All right. Some good NBA talk. Um, anything? I know tennis just wrapped the Australian Open. That was a men's final for the books. Anything coming up on the tennis circuit that you've got in your sights? Uh, well, it looks like we are going to get what we had hoped for, which is a rematch of Nadal and Djokovic in peak form at the at the uh, French Open. Um, so that one is going to be wild. And honestly, the entire run up to that of the European clay swing with some of these European cities starting to really reopen uh, is going to be incredible. Very excited for that. Um, the uh, next month is a little quiet in tennis. It starts to really pick back up in March as we get to Indian Wells and then uh, Miami. Those two back-to-back tournaments kind of tell you a lot about player form as we head into 2022. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see the return of Dominic Team. hopefully. Uh, he has been dealing with some injuries this last calendar year. Really would like to see him back on tour because he makes things more interesting for sure. Um, and then uh, we got a, an emergence of an entirely awesome young cast of characters on the men's side of the tour that uh, is going to uh, it's going to make the, uh, the non-slams that much more fun to handicap because they're going to be wide open. Love it. So even when Super Sunday is come and gone, no slowdown necessarily in your world. I've been taking notes as we've gone along. Try to recap a portfolio. Maybe we can call this the Whale Capper Props and Hops Super Bowl plus life after football betting portfolio. Let me run some of these by you. Let me know if any of these I might be off base or sure. if you'd make any revisions. Um, I've got from you for Super Bowl props. Rams to call the first time out. That's typically minus 115. When it's I, would bet that, I would bet that to minus 120. Rams first time out up to minus 120. Bengals longest field goal. A lot of people can find that now at minus 115, if not a good bit better, as you mentioned. I believe you said minus 200 would be your price ceiling there. Yeah, it's high. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Another high one for me, no onside kick. I'll have that up to minus 250. Cam Akers over 65 and a half rushing yards, minus 115, my ceiling there. And I'll just add the second half to outscore the first half, minus 145. If you've got a line where a tie with the total for both halves would not get you a push and you would lose in that case, knock it down to minus 135 is the price ceiling. That difference is worth about 10 cents, a two-way versus a three-way line. Turning the page to the Olympics. USA, Drew, you're a trader. Gold medals under (laughs) eight and a half, minus 110. But you're also a patriot. Michaela Schifrin, giant slalom to win the gold good up to plus 200 you got plus 300 but still some wiggle room there and then some nba 
Uh, if it's their Miami to win the East, six to one, Phoenix to win the West, plus two twenty-five. Do those numbers sound about right? Yeah, I think Phoenix, the ship has sailed. Your best bet is going to be to wait for series by series. I wouldn't get involved at that price right now. Um, it's not going. It's and that's not going to move much between now and when we actually see what the playoff field looks like. Suns are going to get the one seed. Uh, Warriors are going to get the two seed, and that's your Western Conference Finals. And that's you know, I mean, yeah, you're, you're going to be able to do better round by round, game by game. I would guess betting the Suns. I don't know, Drew. I'm a Lakers fan. Have you seen Russell Westbrook's jump shot lately? Lakers to the finals, baby. You know, (laughs) Matt. What they were thinking there. It can't get any worse. Yeah. We've seen seen our Smush Parker days and been rewarded with big swings the other direction. This is just a lull and maybe a bit cyclical. So uh, if it's Suns Warriors duking it out for the Western Conference title, no complaints there. All right. So we will strike the Suns from the portfolio. But otherwise, I think we've got a pretty solid lineup in store. And as we get ready to wrap this up, have to weave in the other pillar of this podcast. And I'll make it a two for one, bringing in the hops and also um, a nod to the late, great David Malinsky. I always try to do what I call the Malinsky minute in these conversations. Dave would be so disciplined as a better that he would rarely drink while he was watching and, and grading his bets. Super Sunday was probably his favorite betting day of the year to also have a beer or three or four while watching a game because he didn't do a ton of live betting with the Super Bowl Mm -hmm. to that end. um, I also know when we spoke the first time around, you mentioned being a seasonal drinker and darker ales and stouts usually being what you turn to in the winter time. Is there anything along those lines that you've got on tap to do some drinking yourself come Super Sunday? Gosh, I've had a bunch of good recommendations lately, and I'm going to go to the store for sure and stock up on uh, on some new stuff. I love trying new stuff. Nothing that's really jumping off the page off the top of my head. But uh, um, yeah, how about what, what do you got for me? I'll throw a new one your way. If you're willing to depart from the lane of darker ales and stouts, uh, this beer, great all year round. If you can make it to the downtown area anytime soon. I think you said you have some work in I there will, from time to time. I will be downtown in downtown LA from Monday to Wednesday, uh, doing the, um, doing the Super Bowl coverage, uh, at the crypt at the crypt. Oh, love it. All right. Well, uh, I, I might have to see if there's an opportunity to maybe buy you a beer near the crypt and finally do, it, do this in person. Um, Highland Park Brewery, uh, in Park, Chinatown. Yeah. It's, it's like the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim Highland Park of Chinatown on the LA beer scene. Um, it did open up at a legendary bar called the Hermosillo in the Highland Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. Now they've built out a beautiful brewery in the Chinatown neighborhood, much closer to downtown and Dodger Stadium. They've got a new beer called Green Chimera that I am just falling in love with. They call it a rustic saison. It's basically part spontaneous beer, part mixed culture ale, and part lager. They just kind of threw kind of three different types of beer into one. I guess that's why they call it Green Chimera, the Chimera being a three-in-one kind of Greek mythological figure. I was Mm -hmm. not aware of that. But I am highly aware that Green Chimera, the beer from Highland Park, clocks in at 5.5% ABV. And I love that they're packaging it in 12-ounce cans. Sometimes, no matter how good a beer tastes these days, the 16-ounce cans, pretty sexy can art, but that's quite a commitment. So I love the 12-ounce format. And this one, funky and tart, giving something nice for the craft beer geeks among us, but also just really light and refreshing with some good flavor. And I think that makes it really approachable. I keep thinking about this beer as one that I'd love to share with my father-in-law because his favorite beer is Natty Light, and I love to pound a Natty Light or five with him, but if we're looking to go more the craft route, this would be that perfect transition beer. So enough flavor and complexity to satiate the craft beer fans, and I think just enough approachability to make anybody else happy as well. So I will once again nominate Green Chimera for anybody in Southern California who can get their hands on it from Highland Park Brewery. Uh, You could crush a few of those on Super Sunday and still have your wits about you. I love it, man. I will definitely check this out. Uh, and, you know, we actually should uh, have some lunch there one of the days next week because this looks like good food, too. Honestly, the whole brewery scene there looks freaking cool. So they, good, good call, they crush it. Yeah. All right. I will. As soon as we stop recording this, I'll make sure <laughs> to try to lock something in. I will not forget about that. But before doing that, I want to make sure people know where they can find you and follow your work. I mean, pretty much anywhere these days if you're a sports better. But uh, for the record, on Twitter, at whale underscore capper, not one, not two, but three podcasts, co-host of The Deep Dive, co-host of NBC Sports' Bet the Edge podcast, an expert analyst as well on the Matchbook NFL show, 
Drew, is there anything I'm missing or anything you'd like to add? That's perfect, man. I appreciate the time and uh, best luck to you and everybody on the Props and Hops listeners for the Super Bowl. Goodbye. Thanks again to Drew, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. A close second would be to check out the BetUS NFL show I'm hosting on YouTube with professional bettors Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. We've already taken our early look at the Super Bowl matchup as well as some prop strategy, so that's available via the link in the show notes. And next week, we'll be taking a deeper dive into the game and props live on Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 Pacific. One more quick bit of shameless self-promotion. If you're catching this episode on the day of its release, then last night, I made my debut appearance on VEASAN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. It was a blast to join the look ahead with Scott Seidenberg. We talked some Super Bowl props as well as beer, of course. If you'd be interested in checking out that conversation, you can do so by tapping the link in the show notes. One housekeeping item as we hit the home stretch here. If you live in an area where wagering is legal and want to kill two birds with one stone, go ahead and sign up for a sportsbook via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page on Dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges and support this show along the way. And you guessed it, you can also find a link to that page in these show notes. Alright, that'll do it. Best of luck as you build out your Super Bowl 56 betting portfolio. I'll talk to you next week with a final look at the Super Bowl game as well as props. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Ups and ups and ups and ups and ups.